When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. All right, welcome into a special postseason edition of the Purple Podcast here on the Purple Daily Feed. I'm Phil Mackey, making my uh, 2019-2020 Purple Podcast debut. Matthew Collar out in New Orleans. He's been down in the locker room. He's been covering this Viking Saints game. And and Matthew, I don't even know. I mean, there's so many places to go here, but I think I'll, I'll set it up this way. This was the biggest game of Kirk Cousins' career. This was probably the most high-pressure series at the end of that game that Kirk Cousins has faced, and he throws a dime 45 yards down the field to Adam Thielen and then throws another dime on a fade route to dagger the New Orleans Saints and end the trilogy. What a game. Yeah, I mean, just an instant classic that every Minnesota Vikings fan will remember forever. And certainly every person inside that organization and inside that locker room not only breathed a massive sigh of relief, when Kirk Cousins threw that touchdown, but it also felt like there was the possibility, and I could end up with old takes exposed here, but it ends <laughs> up feeling like the possibility that they have turned a corner with Kirk Cousins because of that play. I mean, the locker room after was a little bit on the defiant side about all the narratives that have existed with Kirk Cousins throughout the last two years that he's been the Minnesota Vikings quarterback. I mean, it's been a lot of, hey, he can't win the big game. He can't lead the game-winning drive. Will they ever be able to win anything in the postseason when they go up against a better quarterback? And he answered a lot of those questions with that drive. And, of course, you can go back through that game and look at different drives and things like that where Cousins was not the best. I mean, it was a rough game. It's two very, very good teams. A lot of things that could have broken one way or the other. You know, you think if Delvin Cook's elbow hadn't been down or something like that, that you know New Orleans wins on a crazy play and we all would have been you know, bemoaning that forever. Or if Kyle Rudolph gets called for a push-off upon a review, it would have been the most Minnesota Vikings way to lose in the history of the entire world. So like any game, a lot had to go right for him to pull it off at the end, but he did it. And I, I, and I think probably everyone on the sideline and the press box and the stands went, oh my gosh, he actually did it. He actually led the game-winning drive, the thing that we've talked about for so long, just not happening, the number of games like going back to Monday night against Green Bay where you just did not get enough from the starting quarterback. And in this instance, they got enough from the starting quarterback, just barely, but exactly how much they needed. And I think that might be huge for that locker room going now into San Francisco to be able to trust Kirk Cousins can do this. Yeah. I mean, so I've been sort of comparing this game to a boxing trilogy where we've got got – I don't know, a handful of boxing trilogies in the history of boxing where uh, Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, whatever it was, you have the 09 NFC Championship game, you have the Minneapolis Miracle, and then uh, I don't know if we're going to have a name for this one, but it felt like the Vikings set up a right hook knockout for three hours. They ran the ball before that play-action pass to Adam Thielen. They ran the ball 38 times leading up to that play. And it just like it felt like such a perfect. It's first and ten. It's midfield. Dalvin Cook has been. They they sort of stopped Dalvin Cook in the second half, but Dalvin Cook has been a focal point. You have to respect him. And they run play action, and you could see it in in slow motion as that play is playing out. The offensive line gives him just enough time, but it almost felt Matthew like they spent three hours setting up that haymaker. Right, and if you think about what Mike Zimmer has preached for his offensive philosophy for so long 
everyone always focused on Zimmer wants to run the ball. Zimmer wants to run the ball. And they assumed that he was just being old school and wanted to hand off 30 or 40 times a game. But the second part of that that he would always add that a lot of people would leave out is that he wanted to play actions to hit shots down the field. And for this entire game, the New Orleans Saints were playing two deep safeties. They were saying, look, it's not going to happen. We are not letting you get behind us. We are not letting Thielen and Diggs take over this game. And so, you know, people on Twitter are saying, where's Diggs? What's going on with Diggs? Why aren't they throwing deep shots? Well, that was the way that the Saints were playing defense. They were basically saying, look, if you guys can run against us for a whole game against our front four with your offensive line that's good but not great, if you can do that and beat us, offensively then go ahead and try it and this has actually worked for some other teams where they've dared the vikings to beat them with the run game good example is week two against green bay and then taking away some of the bootlegs and some of the play action shots and for most of the game cousins is having to drop straight back and you know that's not really his strength and there were times during this game where you went well i just don't know if there's going to be enough there in the passing game to actually win and then they got that opportunity because you know, Delvin has a play where he gets over to you know the other side of the field, and then all of a sudden you can sort of feel the Saints getting a little anxious and creeping up a little, and then you just get that one matchup, that one opportunity, and Cousins took advantage of it on a play that is just so perfect for why he is a highly paid NFL starting quarterback and why they decided that they believed in him more than they believed in Case Keenum. It was based on the fact that he can – throw accurately deep down the field, create explosive plays. And that's why you know, midway through this season we were saying this is the type of offense that you can actually win in the playoffs with, yeah. which we really haven't had that thought about a Mike Zimmer Vikings team in quite a while, that it would be a legitimately dangerous offense and a dynamic offense, and it really showed it. It also showed, too, that Delvin Cook is where everything begins, even for Kirk Cousins. He is the start of this offense. And when they needed him, he was there today. He was absolutely huge when it came to check downs and short passes that they needed to get extra yards when they couldn't throw deep down the field. And there were a couple of swing passes that turned into big plays. When you don't have him, it's just not the same. Like, there are very few people who can break the type of tackles that he can break. And he looks pretty darn healthy to me. I'm sure that he's not anywhere close to 100%. But the way that he played today was exactly why he was in the MVP conversation earlier this year and exactly why Mike Zimmer has basically been obsessed with the idea of having Delvin Cook as his centerpiece for so long. Yeah. Hey, let's let, just go going back to that first half for a second because we only, watching on TV, you know, they do little cutaways and, and you'll see little things on the sidelines. And, we, and so we, we saw the Stefan Diggs frustration. We saw the helmet throw. And then we saw sort of a, we saw a conversation with Stefan Diggs and Kevin Stefanski at one point. And then Kirk Cousins walked over, and it, it just from my amateur opinion, watching on TV, it looked like Stefan Diggs' frustration was not with Kirk Cousins because he kind of gave Cousins the "Hey, I know it's not you." Um, what were you able to observe, and what did you think of Stefan Diggs and the helmet throw and and the consternation on the sideline in the first half? So, uh, yeah, I, I just want to say about the Stefan Diggs meltdown on the sideline is that every time Diggs expresses frustration in some way or another. It's the same story with Vikings fans, and it gets really, really tiresome every time it happens. It's He's being childish. He's hurting the team. This and this and this and this. If you had any understanding of what the atmosphere was like in this building, the tension in this building, and what this game meant to both teams, then I think you would understand why people would be on edge and, and why they would be thinking, like why, why someone would be thinking, that, that uh, he needed to throw a helmet and send a message and make everybody understand what needed to happen here offensively. Because if you don't do something like that, if you don't send that message, then you're talking about the possibility of everybody going home and having their season ending. And if you don't want a competitor, I'm not saying it's good to throw your helmet, but if you don't want a competitor of Stephon Diggs' caliber, then you can just get, get out. I mean, when Tom Brady does something like that, or when, you know, star quarterback to it, Philip Rivers does it, then it's all, oh, man, love that guy. Love his competitive fire. It's so great. But then Stefan Diggs does it, and he's being petulant, and he's being a baby, and on and on and on and on. No, he wants to win. And the other thing is that every time he does something like this, guess what happened next? The offense got itself back on track, and that's exactly what we saw. And it wasn't perfect by any means, but they found Stefan Diggs on a third and eight open that was one of the biggest plays of the game in overtime. Diggs has been around for a while 
He knows what works. When he pulled his stunt of missing practice earlier this year, I mean, they came back and were one of the most explosive offenses in the league. So when you see him throw a helmet, you should be pleased. You should say, well, all right, this is going to be the spark plug. This is, this is what's going to turn this offense around because sometimes that's necessary to do. And if you don't want your best player on the field to demand the ball in the biggest situation, again, I just don't know what to tell you. I mean, we just write the narratives uh, afterward on, on athletes. But, you know, Michael Jordan, if he's mad at his teammates and punches Steve Kerr in practice, like, oh, how cool is that? What a great competitor. But Diggs is upset on the sideline. He's a baby. I'll never understand that. I mean, he's an emotional player like many athletes are. But I think he's the spark plug of the team and the one guy who has the ability to say, all right, everybody better kick going right now. And he's got the respect to do that because your quarterback isn't that guy. Your running back isn't that guy. Your other receiver isn't that guy. Diggs is a leader in that way. So it really frustrated me to see people criticizing Stephon Diggs for acting that way. You know, I wouldn't suggest it for Pee Wee kids, but this isn't Pee Wee. This is the NFL. So let's not act like, uh, you know, this, this is a bunch of third graders or something. These are professional athletes with a lot on the line. It's sorry if, uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure there in that situation and emotion. Also, I think you can take a read from, okay, he's been an emotional player all season. He's been an emotional player in the last couple of years, yet none of his teammates ever say anything negative about him in the press. You never hear Kirk Cousins. Like when, when, when Antonio Brown goes bonkers in Pittsburgh, Ben Roethlisberger starts to call him out, and it's, it obviously it's impacting the locker room. It doesn't matter who's right, who's wrong. The fact that nobody has come out, not even Mike Zimmer, no one has come out and said, listen, this guy needs to pipe down. He's a cancer in the locker room. I think if his teammates are fine with it and if they know where it's coming from, then I think fans and media can kind of take a cue from what's happening on the actual team itself. Well, I think that they know that he's right. I mean, I think that's the reality of it is when you are throwing into triple coverage to B.C. Johnson and expecting him to make that grab, as a seventh-round pick, who I like a lot, but look who you have on the team. And I would also question throwing to Alexander Hollins in a big situation when you <laughs> yeah. have two, three, four of the best players. You have a second-round draft pick in Herb Smith, who is a really, really good NFL player, even even early on in his career. And you're targeting the seventh-rounder over Stephon Diggs, over Adam Thielen. And so, yeah, I can't I can't blame him at all for that frustration. And I think that it's something you need on every team is some guys who are calm, some guys who are fiery, and when you don't have the type of leadership in your locker room where everyone just looks to the quarterback like New Orleans would with uh, Drew Brees, I mean, everybody would just look toward him to be the guy, but you don't really have that here, so you have to have other voices. And I think it was an important moment in the game for him to show that frustration. Like, if we don't get something going here offensively, this is going to be the end of our season, and who wants to go down not throwing to Adam Thielen or not throwing to Stephon Diggs? I mean, that would be a hell of a bad way to lose. Yeah, this this almost became the Alexander Hollins game there for a second. Like it was it was either going to be it could have been the Taysom Hill game, it could have been the Alexander Hollins game, could have gone a number of different directions. <laughs> yeah, he was he was very 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 close. But Phil, I think we need to talk about the front page, the A one thing which, I mean, I know that a lot of people are going to talk about Cousins, and it seems to me that the conversation is really picking up quite rapidly about pass interference review and, and so forth, and I understand that on that last play. But the, the, the top story here for me is entirely the defense and Mike Zimmer's game plan in this game, which I thought if this was a pitcher, this is throwing a no-hitter in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a beyond a gem. I mean, it's darn near a perfect game if not for one really really excellent drive by Drew Brees that ended up in the end zone Uh, and and one long Taysom Hill throw and one long you know one wrong catch by Taysom Hill if not for that guy I mean it would be basically a perfect game thrown by Mike Zimmer the game plan to have Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter rush from the inside is truly brilliant and Daniil Hunter told me after the game that he looked, uh, that they looked at it this week and said, you know what, if we pressure him from the inside, he's going to melt, which is really weird because you just don't hear anything ever about Drew Brees' weaknesses. I mean, it seems like he hardly has any, but they figured if we could pressure him up the middle, he would not shuffle himself to the outside and get space 
to throw. He would just sort of stand there, and that's exactly what happened. And then, how about this, for guys who have worked together for an incredibly long time, played together for a long time, and just know each other so well, Daniil Hunter and Limbaugh Joseph planned together the rush where Daniil Hunter got to uh, Drew, Drew Brees and knocked the ball out of his hand. They planned that throughout the game. Daniil Hunter kept telling Limbaugh Joseph, I'm setting him up, I'm setting him up. And then Ryan Ramchek kicks out wide, wow. and Daniil Hunter was ready for it. And Limbaugh Joseph just pushed his man straight back, and, and there's Daniil Hunter right on Drew Brees. And you combine that with the coverages that they were able to put out there and the fact that they were playing a guy at nickel corner who has literally never played that position <laughs> ever, and that's what they're up against, missing two of their key corners, and, and they hold Drew Brees down like that. I mean, I, I think that that was anybody who was talking about Mike Zimmer not being the coach of this team, I think he just sent a pretty darn strong message. This was his greatest coaching job as a head coach. Uh, this was... This was the exact opposite of the NFC Championship game from a couple years ago, which I think is the biggest stain on his head coaching resume when the Eagles lit him up and, uh, and ran around for three hours. It's his greatest coaching job. You already mentioned the brilliancy of taking two great outside pass rushers, moving them to the inside strategically. Not only those things, but 48 hours before the game, and it's declared that Mike Hughes is out for the season. Mackenzie Alexander is out for the game, and then who knows beyond that. Um, I mean, the fact that you had, and, and of course, going, going, going three safety looks in, in nickel and having at least two or three different times Anthony Barr covering wide receivers across the middle, um, including Michael Thomas, just the way that he used his chess pieces was amazing. And on the Daniil Hunter sack, too, I tweeted this when it happened. That strip sack by Daniil Hunter, two things. It wasn't your common strip sack where you come around and you, and you get a hand on the actual ball. He hit Drew Brees' tricep so hard from behind, he made the ball pop out. And it's one of the least Vikings-like things I've ever seen in a big game next to the Minneapolis Miracle. I think people were so shocked that the Vikings would come up with a play like that. Um, but the game plan was masterful, and it was the, it's the best defensive painting he has, he has ever delivered as a defensive coaching yep. artist. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I totally agree. Because all the other ones, I would have said, were at U.S. Bank Stadium with the U.S. Bank Stadium uh, advantage, including the last time they played Drew Brees. And, uh, you know, even last year in the, in the regular season, they held up to 120 yards. And it seems that Mike Zimmer really has Drew Brees' number at this point from what we've seen over the last few games. And the only time where Brees has been great is when he's been down in the games and then trying to come back. And how many defensive minds can ever say that? And that's you know, kind of the point of this is that it's really a culmination, this game, and, and this game plan by Mike Zimmer of five years that he's put in. How about this? 2015, all the players that started today were on the roster, on defense, in 2015. Wow. So that means development of how many different guys. Anthony Harris with another huge play. How many is that for him this season? Seems like every single week he's coming up with an interception or making a play in the secondary. How about Andrew Sadejo? These are undrafted guys. How about a guy being so familiar with your defense that he can come back from the Philadelphia Eagles and he can go play nickel corner when he's never played it before and handle it perfectly? How about the, the guys at the defensive end? We just say, oh, yeah, they're pro bowlers. They're great players. Yeah, but they were both developed by Mike Zimmer. When Mike Zimmer got here, Everson Griffin is just a, a rotational rusher. And then, you know, here's Daniel Hunter, who's a third-round pick that is thought of as a raw talent. Now he's a megastar. And how about the other guys? Stephen Weatherly, Afadi Adenabo, seventh-round picks who played a huge role in this game. They, they were the other rushers that were on the field so often during this game. I mean, it really speaks to everything that he's built over these five years. And it was just it was just the perfect kind of win for him. It's exactly what he would have what he would have dreamed of when he started here. He would have said a game where you can run 30 times, you can dominate on defense, and, and you can create the perfect game plan to stop an all-time great quarterback. I mean, we always talk about, hey, you got to have the quarterback to win, you got to have the quarterback to win, and that is absolutely true. History has told us. But if you don't have that guy, what's your one shot historically? It's being able to defensively game plan. And, I mean, to happen at this time, too. I mean, consider what the conversation has been. And, of course, you know, I got a bunch of tweets of, how, you know, how dare you guys talk about that. But, you know, that, that's a real thing, that the ownership of this team was looking and saying, have we peaked with Mike Zimmer? Can yeah. we take another step with Mike Zimmer? And I think what he just sent up 
uh, to, you know, the, the owner's box was, hey, do you want more where this came from? As long as you get that throw from the quarterback, which you need, and as long as you get the, the healthy Delvin Cook, you can compete with anybody. And to do it in Drew Brees' house to end his season, maybe his career, I, I don't know that he's coming back for sure. I think probably, but it's not 100%. I mean, to be able to do that is really a special, special performance by Mike Zimmer's defense. There's no asterisk. There's no, well, actually, or it wasn't a great team, or, or they got lucky or anything else. This was a guy dialing up defense after defense that was just flat-out brilliant and made Drew Brees look pedestrian. That does not happen very often. It's also the first time in these three playoff games, and Mike Zimmer's only been involved in two of them, but just from, from a Vikings fan standpoint, going back to the 2009 NFC Championship game, because Sean Payton and Drew Brees were a part of that game. It's the first time in these three where the Vikings can say just flat-out, beat you clean. In 09, the Saints won that game, uh, and that was the Bounty Gate situation. But then the Minneapolis Miracle... Yeah, that's it's one of the great games in Vikings history, and it's the probably the peak moment in in Vikings history for a lot of people. But it was a lucky, it's a lucky touchdown. Let's just be honest; it was a lucky touchdown um, that is going to go down as one of the great plays in NFL history. But to beat them clean like this, and to do it in 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 such a dismantling way defensively, has to it, this this was a more emphatic win. And I think and Judd and I both agreed on Ventline. It's a more I think it's a more satisfying win than the Minneapolis Miracle because it just it doesn't feel fluky. That's right. You blew the Minneapolis Miracle. I mean, if we're being honest, like you let that slip away and needed a miracle to to win it, and that's sort of been it's in a way, even though it is a great game, it's sort of been the well actually to that conversation. It's like, well, actually, they kind of lost that game, but needed a miracle to win. There's no well actually to this one. I mean, there are many different plays in this game that you could go over and you could question again, what if this happened, what if that happened? But the bottom line is they pressured Drew Brees all day when it's almost impossible to pressure him. He was the least pressured quarterback in the NFL this year and only sacked 12 times in 11 starts. And here you are in his face getting a strip sack. He's making mistakes he never makes, throwing deep over the middle of the field into double coverage with a guy who has six interceptions this year right in the coverage to Ted Ginn, who's, like, not a good contested catch guy. I mean, stuff like that you just don't ever see from Drew Brees. It's usually he's in complete control. And the way they handled Michael Thomas, uh, Eric Hendricks, when I got in the locker room, Eric Hendricks, the first thing he said to me was, hey, what did Michael Thomas have today? And I told him, seven catches, 70 yards. And he just kind of nodded like, what a job. I mean, what a job they did to hold him to – that little success for a guy that you usually see targeted like, you know, 15 times in a game and 16, 17 times in a game, getting 10, 15 catches. I mean, this guy broke the record for reception, and here's the Vikings slowing him down. And you know what's great? You could see from upstairs, and this is why you love being there at the Superdome, you could really see the anticipation of the defense on a lot of their plays. Like, they knew exactly what the Saints were going to try to do, game planning them. And there were a few plays where Michael Thomas ran a quick out route, and he caught the ball, and they tackled him after about seven yards. And you went like, oh, that's a, that's a successful play. But Michael Thomas often turns those into bigger plays. He led the entire NFL in yards after catch, and they didn't let him do that. Every time, they were jumping those routes, and they were right on top of him. That's why Anthony Barr tackles Michael Thomas. Like, wow. Anthony Barr chased down Michael Thomas? Like, no, he anticipated it. There were even plays where you could see Barr or Sandejo starting to slide out to where they knew that Michael Thomas was going to go. And then the job that they did on Alvin Kamara to yes. add to that. I mean, Eric Hendricks playing in this game was massive for them. And, and all the big names, they, they came through. I mean, this is, this is the point about this defense being good enough on any given day to beat anyone, even if they still have some shortcomings or injuries, is you just have superstars. I mean, Barr played like a superstar. Harrison Smith was all over the field making plays in the backfield. And the fact that they did not allow them to run the ball at all in this game outside of a Taysom Hill 20-something yard run down the sideline. Aside from that, there was no the consistent run game that they could play, uh, you know, play action and things like that and scare the Vikings with. And, uh, I mean, it was as close to an A-plus performance that you could get if only Taysom Hill didn't play for the Saints. This w- it would have been the Taysom Hill game. But uh, aside from that, to do that to Drew Brees, it really says so much about Zimmer's ability to game plan and scheme and make everyone better 
and it also says a lot about what he's built here, who he's developed here, and and really the reasons why if you're going to fire him, you better be really, really yeah. sure. Was kind of the, the my my take leading up to this. Like if you're going to have that conversation, you better be really sure that you got somebody else who's going to do better than this. And now, lucky for us, Phil, that conversation is done with. We will not be discussing that anymore after this, even if they have a really tough time in San Francisco. Winning this game, it was the best win of the Zimmer era, and they shouldn't be even considering moving on from him after this. Yeah, so what, okay, let's go down that path for a second here. And I I also want to circle back at some point on, I want to circle back on Anthony Harris and just a couple of things that, that we've talked about here, but what do you think, regardless of what happens in San Francisco, what do you think this game guaranteed? Guaranteed, that's a good question, uh, because there are a few things that it could, and I'm not 100% certain that it guarantees that Kirk Cousins will be the long-term quarterback here. I am certain it guarantees that Delvin Cook will be signing a contract extension this offseason. I don't think there's any way that he's going anywhere after a game like this, and I definitely think that it guarantees Mike Zimmer is your head coach for next year and possibly beyond. I don't know if it's head coach for life unless he beats San Francisco. You go back to the NFC Championship with this tough of a path, and I think you're talking about Zimmer can decide when he's going to walk away rather than when they're going to fire him. Um, Things change, but this would be an incredibly impressive coaching job to get to the NFC Championship. And, of course, the Super Bowl just locks you in. Like He gets into the Super Bowl, he's the coach for whenever he wants to retire, and that's it. With Cousins, though, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one because he – proves here that he can make that throw, that he can make that play. But how close are you without the defense and without Delvin to just losing because Kirk wasn't good enough? And I like, I am not going to take away from what he did because I, I've always said, and I'm going to stay with that, that the job is to win that game that day, not put up the most yards. It's about the situations you're in and coming through when you're needed the most. And, man, he did that a couple different times. The biggest, other than the, the game-winning throws, was a third and long to Adam Thielen where he had to throw the same out route twice and then they get in the end zone and that's just a huge change of the game after Anthony Harris's interception. But he made the throws, he made the plays the biggest times, even though it was really ugly, even though he got whacked a couple times real hard by New Orleans Saints players. And so it is extremely impressive. It's probably the most impressive win that he's ever had and he earned that. But you go out to San Francisco you know, are you going to, if he doesn't play well, are you going to be saying, well, that's, you know, it's not an impressive performance in the first game except for that last drive? Or, you know, are you going to start wondering and wondering, should we do this now? Should we really lock in? Who else can we pay? We're going to have to rebuild our defense. Um, but, but I think that if you were already, as their ownership and management, thinking about sticking with Rick Spielman and sticking with this front office and going down this path, uh, that that if you believe that it guarantees them, this win guarantees them their jobs as well, I think you're probably talking about doubling down on, on Cousins. That, that that this win as a front office allows you to justify it. It allows you to go to ownership and say, well, look, he made the throw that Case Keenum couldn't make. You know, that, that Case Keenum couldn't make in the second half of that Saints game until the miracle that he couldn't make in Philadelphia to keep us in that game. So, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% certain that it guarantees all the things that everyone's going to be here, Cook and uh, Zimmer and Cousins, but it gets it probably gets pretty close on all three. Yeah, there's a really interesting human element reference points factor here that it'll it'll play out organically. You know, I think in the first half of this game and in a lot of other big games where it's sort of road winning team, uh, it's national TV. Kirk looks like the, the like Kirk looks like he's on the freeway. And he's going 65, and he's kind of nervous that everyone else is going 80, and it just looks like everything's going too fast. And that's how I felt in the first half of this game. And I wonder if you, if you hit on a couple big plays like that, and you finally just get this huge sigh of relief. And for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen the post-game locker room video of Mike Zimmer giving Kirk Cousins the game ball, and him just being mauled by his teammates and doing the you like that thing, I mean, they it, it just it just felt like a huge... <sighs> for everybody involved, and if yeah. and, and if this leads to him just feeling less clenched in these games, starting with San Francisco, and he can just unlock peak Kirk Cousins when he needs to the most, um, then all of a sudden, and now you're talking about a guy who he could be the quarterback here for seven or eight more years, 
if yeah. if he can play that way in the most pressure packed moments more often. Yeah, and th- and that's why this game is so huge. Is that if you're going to have any chance to win in San Francisco, you have to have the belief of everybody around Kirk Cousins. And I mean, you've seen this, but I've seen it even closer being at the stadium, and you can watch what everybody's doing. And but even when you look at the game tape, how often people's shoulders start to slump, people start to get frustrated, people start to go, "Gosh, it's this Kirk again." You can see it all the time when he has one of those bad games throughout this season when you look closely. I mean, going back to Kansas City for sure when he's yelling about Laquan Treadwell stopping on a route and then, you know, of course, week 17 last year. And you could really sense under the surface that the Vikings offense and probably the defense for that matter, they all know what we've been thinking and they've been thinking the same thing. Can this guy really do it or does he only put up these numbers against Detroit? Or does he only come back against the Broncos and not anybody else? Of course, they didn't have to come back today um, from a big deficit. You know, uh, 10, 10 to 3 is not a, a big comeback of any kind. But um, to be able to, to do it in overtime when they gave him a chance to win, it does. that's kind of how the athlete mind works. Like, you're going to have to show it to me first before I believe you can really do it. And, I, I mean, I, I'm sure, too, that there's like a conflicted thought of, well, we secretly all thought the same thing, or maybe not so secretly. And yet, at the same time, you want to be like, well, this is, but this is our guy. And you have the outside world constantly, you know, mashing on him and crushing him after every single loss. And so you might see this turn from sort of, yeah, we kind of agree with the guys on ESPN when they say <laughs> this stuff about Kirk, because it's kind of true, to going from, hey, he showed all of you wrong. And nobody switches these positions faster than athletes they're not like us where we will you know dig our heels in forever on some sort of topic like that hey whatever you know it's our guy and now we know he can win and, yeah uh yeah I, I i think in terms of galvanizing that offense and getting him on the same page this win might mean a lot not just for today but for long term for years from now to come and if i were to put my money down today i would say that when the year is you know, 2026 or something then we'll be talking about, is Kirk going to retire or come back to the Vikings? I mean, that's, that's my guess. That's my guess. And that's, that is kind of how big this game was, that they'll always be able to look back to this one and say, you know what, he can do it because we saw him do it there. And that's one of the reasons that you know we talked about everyone believing in Teddy Bridgewater so much, is that Bridgewater had a bunch of these games you know, in college, and then he comes into the NFL and has comeback games and, and big throws on third down and a, a game-winning drive that should have been in Seattle, it's not for a kick. And so everyone felt like, you know what, no matter what his statistics are, we believe he could do it. And now they can at least have that belief with Cousins, which may impact them this year and beyond. So this is this is so fascinating going forward now in January because I think the Saints and the 49ers were one and two in, in any order, the two best teams in the NFC. And I think there was a, a drop-off to the, to the next. And you slayed one of them. You slayed one of them. And you slayed a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I think if – not that you can just carry over the same game plan. I mean, every, every game is going to stand on its own. But um, if you can make Drew Brees' life miserable with a great game plan and great personnel, Jimmy Garoppolo has not been in many of these situations. And so you, you, in theory, can make his life miserable as well. And I think if you look at some of the other blueprints of teams that won a bunch of road games to get to the – to get teams even without elite quarterbacks that won road games, you know those Giants teams from 07, 2011, the Ravens with Joe Flacco, the the ingredients are sort of similar in that you need a pass rush, so you need, you need guys who can get after the opposing team's quarterback. You need a quarterback on your own team who can hit deep passes and 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 dagger defenses and some semblance of a running game. And the Vikings check all those boxes, and if they beat San Francisco. It doesn't matter who they get in the NFC Championship game, and now I'm getting way ahead of myself. Like the path just sort of gets progressively easier if you win this game here on Saturday. It's not supposed to work that way, but I totally agree with you. It's you know the playoffs are supposed to make it harder for you each week, but sometimes we see this like in the NBA where maybe some team gets an injury halfway through the season, they end up as a seven seed and they're playing a two, and all of a sudden it's hard. The NHL, which has a preposterous system. This happens all the time where a one is playing maybe the third or fourth best team in the entire NHL, but yet it just sort of worked out that way because of division winners. And That's kind of how this felt. Like things didn't bounce the right way for the New Orleans Saints, and they ended up having to play in this game as opposed to, if you think about it, how close is Seattle 
to having that one seed uh, and everything going, uh, you know, differently. And us talking about playing the Packers this week. I mean, we were six inches away from going somewhere else, from going to Seattle as opposed to um, down here to New Orleans. So, uh, you know, it's funny how this has all worked out and sort of um, if you're going to lay it out this way, I think that it feels worse if you lose in the first round because you played a really hard team. But if you get that win, then you look forward and go, oh, my gosh, this is totally possible. But here's where I would pump the brakes. I would pump the brakes that bad Kirk still exists. Like, this does not disappear. And I know people are probably mad to hear me say this, but, like, <laughs> we saw this in in a couple of games this year, and then he comes out against Green Bay, or then he comes out against Kansas City, and you're like, wait, you just threw for 400 yards last week and looked great. What happened? And, you know, that, that, that possibility always exists. And it's been hard for me to believe that there are three straight games in him where that doesn't happen, where there are no turnovers or – or no big mistakes or things like that that end up costing you. And I would not underestimate the talent on San Francisco's team. And also, you know, you're going to hear about, oh, well, their defenses started to slip and everything else in the second half. Well, the same was true for the Vikings. And here they came out and the superstar talent took over the epic game planning that goes on throughout a week, the kitchen sink, if you will, uh, where they throw everything out there. We have in, I don't know, four training camps seen Everson Griffin line up over guards in training camp and gone, oh, I wonder when we'll see that. Yeah. And we see it today. I don't think I've ever seen it before <laughs> today, and except for in training camp practices. And then all of us dopey reporters wrote after, hey, maybe they'll do this this year. And they never did. And then here it comes out today. Well, guess what? San Francisco's got two weeks to prepare for you. They are going to be healthy. They're going to be rested, which, by the way, I think uh, seriously helped the Vikings to be rested in week 17. But, you know, San Francisco is going to have that same rest. They're going to have that same game planning. They're going to bring out everything. And they have one of the best coaches in the NFL and one of the best defensive coaches in the NFL. Like, this is a this is a massive, massive challenge that they're going to face. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say just because you won the harder game that you won't lose that one. But the way that Zimmer game planned, the way that Kirk came through, it was – it was the only way to write this script. I mean, if they were going to win this game, this was the absolute only way they were going to do it. The outcomes were either a very, very close win in which Zimmer just pitches the perfect game, or you get murdered. Like, that was the only things that were going to happen. <laughs> so now it's going to be uh, really fascinating to see how they game plan and how they set up for this game. And, you know, it's a short week for the Vikings because they're going to have to play on Saturday. So they have to get right back and get going. So how they respond to all of those things, plus the emotional high of winning here in New Orleans. Like, that's why it's so hard to go on the road for these three games. But if you're asking, you know, do you believe they can do it? I think we were maybe the only ones on Purple Daily talking about how we believed that the Vikings actually could win this game. Yeah. Which I would just suggest to the people who tweeted me and said we didn't believe in them to, like, check out the game tape. Like, we did. My prediction was 34-31. I, I mean, I thought it was going to come down to the end here. And Alex Boone mentioned watching four games back of the Saints and saying, I think they could completely win this game. I woke up this morning feeling like I'm not, I don't think my season is over. And so I'm not entirely sure it will be in San Francisco either because of all the things that they showed us here today. It was one of those where all season long we said, are you guys ever going to prove it? Because you've had a bunch of opportunities, and they picked the darn right time to do it. Amazing. Hey, a couple, couple more things here. Just, I, I just, I got to throw a couple more things at you and get your observations from, uh, from the Superdome and uh, and from New Orleans because the 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 biggest conversation up until the end of the game was probably centered around the forty five yard pass from Hill uh, that Xavier the Xavier Rhodes route getting torched on that play, and then the and then the conversation on the sideline with Harrison Smith and. And they showed it in slow mo enough where I could I could read lips and, and Harrison Smith was kind of trying to calm Xavier down, saying, "Hey, sometimes we've got to make plays. Sometimes we just got to make plays." And I couldn't tell if he was talking about himself being up on the line of scrimmage, and sometimes I'm not going to be back there for you, or if it was, "Hey, man, sometimes you got to make a play." What did you make of of that whole scenario, Xavier Rhodes' play in general, and what was what was the talk after the game? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think after the game. It was sort of the defense felt like overall that they had done the thing that they expected themselves to do. So put put Rhodes aside, that there wasn't a, wow, we really did this. Like with the offense, there was definitely that feeling. 
Like, if you're saying you like that in the locker room, you're saying, oh, wow, we actually did it. But in the defensive room, it was very calm. It was very much like, yeah, we had a good game plan and we executed it because we're a top defense and we've never stopped believing we could be. Uh, What I think was impressive about Xavier Rhodes is that after that play, he came back and had a huge stop on Michael Thomas on third down where he deflected a ball and he was right on Thomas. And if there was an opportunity to completely melt down and lose it entirely and have him just get destroyed the rest of the game, that was it after that play. And, yeah, he can't move like he used to. And if teams have an opportunity to attack him that way, they're going to do that. And it's possible that, you know, Harrison Smith was up at the line of scrimmage because he decided on his completely own that he was going to do it because he, he's allowed to. And he has such a great football IQ and a sense for what things are about to happen that he knows – that he can sneak up to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, Anthony Harris told me once that he has to just watch Harrison before the snap and kind of adapt to where he's going to be because sometimes he'll just surprise you and be like, oh, okay, he's at the line of scrimmage, or, oh, he's dropping deep, so now this is my assignment. It switches on a dime, which speaks to the intelligence of Anthony Harris, I think, that is his biggest asset, aside from just catching it. Usually defensive backs don't catch it. He catches everything. Uh, But, uh, you know, to your point, I mean, this is still going to be a huge challenge. You think that Kyle Shanahan is sitting there going, well, you know, we're not going to attack Xavier Rhodes the same way. No, they're going to. They're going to do everything they possibly can uh, to get Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball down the field against Xavier Rhodes. I just think that that sort of interaction speaks to that these guys are the true definition of a brotherhood on this defense. And it sounds cliche, and we don't really talk like this in 2019 that much. This is very different. I mean, this is unlike anything you'll see in the NFL aside from what? The Ravens a few years back with Ed Reed and Ray Lewis. Maybe you go back to some Steelers defenses when they were great to the Seattle Seahawks with Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman. I mean, you just do not see this type of bond. I mean, Anthony Anthony Barr was in tears thinking about leaving and then decided, no, I can't leave. I have to resign back with Minnesota. That's how close these guys are. Daniil Hunter signed the worst contract in professional sports for what he's actually worth because he wanted to be with this team because he believed that they could do it as a brotherhood together on this defense. And for those guys today, it was like, yeah, this is us. This is what we do. And when Xavier has had problems, people in the locker room have backed him and have tried to – you know, help him through his issues, and so has Mike Zimmer. And today, they had no other choice. They couldn't start to rotate corners or anything else. There was no one to rotate in. It was, these are your guys, and this is about it. And for him to make that big play against Michael Thomas after getting smoked, like, it's going to happen. Like, you're going to allow passes down the field. You're going to let a trick play get you. Like, things in the playoffs against great teams with great coaches and great players are going to happen against you. It's kind of how you respond. And the way that Rhodes responded in this game, I thought was really excellent. Hey, one more thing on Anthony Harris. Uh, our buddy Arif Hassan had this nugget on Twitter uh, that, that his interceptions this year have included two against Matt Ryan, one off of Russell Wilson, one off of Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, that was a clean one off Aaron Ro- Aaron Rodgers, you can count on yep. one hand the last 10 years how many clean interceptions he's thrown, and, and one off of Drew Brees. That is a pretty amazing list, and I feel like there's there's like eight guys on the Vikings defense minimum that get talked about before Anthony Harris, and he gets almost no national steam, and it's probably it's it's probably time for him to be getting a little bit more publicity around the country and even locally. Like it's he's just not top of mind, and I don't know if a lot of people really see the season he's having. Well, Pro Football Focus had him as the number one safety in the NFL this year. That's amazing. So, I mean that really tells you a lot about his ability to ball hawk and what they have now. And Sandejo was decent at this and racked up a good amount of interceptions, but I think they have a better version of somebody who has just such a high level of football intelligence and then this mentality that he's going to go up and get it every time. I mean, you look back at him, I believe he went to Virginia, and you go back and look at him and his numbers at Virginia, and one of the years he had something like, I don't know, six, seven, eight picks, I mean, this is not something that he was incapable of doing. It was really that he had to develop into this type of player to fully understand what, where he needed to be, what he needed to do. And then you see the playmaking ability mixed with the high IQ that turns him into a superstar that goes along with you know, all the other players. And that is what 
makes this defense really dangerous if you're these other teams that are going to play them, if you're San Francisco and you're beyond, is that, yeah, you know what? The defense had some holes this year. And how Matt Moore and Chase Daniel beat you, I don't know. It's kind of weird. But when you look at the just accumulation of talent that they have, that, that you have stars at so many positions, and Anthony Harris should have been a Pro Bowler this year, and the guy next to him, Michael in the Hall, fame. I mean, it's a, like you have that, you have uh, two linebackers, and the worst one just signed a massive contract. Yeah. You have two defensive ends, and I'm not sure who the better of the two, but today they both looked like Derek Thomas and Lawrence Taylor going after uh, you know Drew Brees. So I've always felt like the criticism of the defense this year was fair in some ways, but then completely unfair in others. You finish fifth in points, and we're talking about your head coach not knowing how to play defense anymore. I mean, it's just like they have way too much talent um, to, to, to think that they were just going to lay down and let any team go by them, which is why I thought the game would be close. I thought Breeze would have a little more success. Uh, but Anthony Harris has just become such a massive part of that. And I think it's just that he's soft-spoken and overlooked by a lot of other guys. He doesn't seek attention or anything else like that. But he is the perfect Zimmer guy. You know, Zimmer has these high IQ players who are highly competitive and who can adapt and adjust to things on the fly with his defense. And he has just fit in so seamlessly. And I, I also want to just mention that, you know, the job Sandejo did as the nickel corner today, it really speaks to how well their defensive staff teaches these players. To have a guy who's never played in that position before adapt on the fly to learn that position and learn his assignments and everything else just like that, it shows you how well taught they all are and you know when you can say the worst defense you've had is fifth in points i mean you that just means that you've had a, a ton of success on the defensive side yeah i think sendejo also played three phases of special teams in addition to learning the nickel cornerback spot i mean that's just a ridiculous effort from him today yeah i mean that's the crazy thing about him is that you know he went from a starting safety last year and then got hurt goes to Philadelphia, is playing intermittently for them, and then they move on from him after they struggle in the secondary, and then he comes back as a special teamer, and he takes on that role, and then he's just all of a sudden called upon, and you could you know make all the cliches you want about next man up and that kind of thing, but that was kind of how it had to be, is look around and go, okay, who do I trust? And this is the thing about Mike Zimmer, is his loyalty will get him sometimes, and maybe his loyalty to Xavier Rhodes harmed them earlier this year, but then his loyalty to Anderson Dejo, I will raise my hand as guilty in saying, wait, they're bringing back Anderson Dejo? Yeah. Huh? What? Why? I'm shocked by that. And I think a lot of other people were, too, that they even decided to bring him back because I thought his career was probably over after Philly released him. And here's Mike Zimmer, loyal to his guy, believing in his guy, who comes up absolutely gigantic in this game. I mean, if he's not there and he doesn't play well, you probably don't win. I, I, I mean, I think, it's the, I think it's that big of a role in this game that he played to tackle Michael Thomas when he got him the ball, to break up a pass, to not just be the, the whipping boy here. And a lot of us, including me, thought that it was going to be J. Ron Kirst. And when it wasn't J. Ron Kirst, I got a bunch of tweets, and I didn't really know how to respond with, hey, shouldn't it be J. Ron Kirst? Is Zimmer making a terrible mistake? And I think at this point, Bill, we just have to say when it comes to defensive backs, we just need to uh, say, yeah, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's, exactly. we really can't question too much here because every yeah. time we do, he ends up being right and we end up being wrong. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just a, just an amazing performance by a guy that I would not have expected would be one of the heroes of this game. But, you know, that's kind of how they've, they've trained them to be, and it was a huge performance. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, what what a freaking game and uh, what what a fun stretch here. Vikings fans, you get to you get to jump on the train for one more week and if you're if you're new to to this podcast feed, if you're new to Purple Daily slash the Purple Podcast in this instance, we'd love for you to subscribe and we'd love for you to give a five-star review and uh, be sure to check out Matthew's show five days a week too. He's got Sage Rosenfels in the mix, Alex Boone in the mix, Courtney Cronin, Myron Medcalf. So uh, be sure to subscribe. Go tell five Vikings fan friends. And the, the floor is yours. Give us 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever, Matthew. You're down in New Orleans. Any, anything that we didn't touch on or any final thoughts to put a bow on this episode? Well, nobody asked me about the food I ate in New Orleans. So I <laughs> wow. had a great time here. I had some of the best fried chicken I've ever had in my life. 
I tried an oyster for the first time ever, oh. and uh, that was that was different. Um, and then I also had some salmon, which was delicious. So you didn't ask about that, and I'm sure everyone was wondering. I would say this that this this is one of those victories that you know they can sort of come and go. You can win games that you consider big, and then be like, "Who did they beat that one time?" And that was pretty fun for that day. This is one that on both sides, people are going to remember for a very, very long time. And I would also tack on in terms of what we left on the cutting room table here. Throw it to Kyle Rudolph. If you love the Purple Daily Show, you know that I've been yelling on the radio over and over again, throw it to Kyle Rudolph. You will be okay, Kirk. Just trust those massive mitts, and uh, it works. And I also don't think, by the way, that it was any type of infraction by Kyle Rudolph. I don't care what... What any TV ref tried to say or anything else like that or what the guys in the Saints locker room said, I'm sorry. That was hand fighting, and it was entirely based on any any thought of that being a flag. It's entirely based on just Kyle Rudolph's bigger, so he was stronger and won the battle. And uh, you see that play 100 times out of 100 not called, so I, I completely agreed. And congratulations to the refs. You got off to a little bit of a tough start and then did, I thought, a terrific job not – throwing the flag on, on that play. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to, to digest here. But in terms of games that I have covered in my career as a sports reporter slash show host and podcaster and whatever else I do, um, one, of the, one of the top, one of the top. I mean, just back and forth and bizarre and crazy and just explosive plays and the atmosphere was indescribably loud and insane. And, you know, all of us were talking after the game who, who covered it just, I think my heart was racing from about the start of the third quarter till the very, very last play. I mean, it was really something that you don't get very often. So uh, a, a special and fun day for Vikings fans, and now on to the next one. So much fun, and uh, this week is going to be jam-packed. Score North, we're going to have everything covered from wall to wall for you guys out there, Vikings fans, but we're going to let Matthew go get like two hours of sleep and then hop on a flight so he can host his <laughs> show tomorrow in the Twin Cities. So. All right, man. Just for all of you. All right. Thanks, thanks, Phil. All right. See you, Matthew. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.